Our reading today comes from Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and also Luke 6, 27 through 36. I'll give you just a moment to find that. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the Spirit, I'm sorry, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And now Luke six twenty-seven through 36. But I say to you who are listening, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. To the person who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other as well. And from the person who takes away your coat, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks you, and do not ask for your possessions back from the person who takes them away. Treat others in the same way that you would want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to be repaid, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners so that they may be repaid in full. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because He is kind to ungrateful and evil people. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as we prepare to come before your word, we do pray that you would reveal to us your loving heart and that in hearing you, you would teach us to lie down and rest, to rest in the joy of what you are and what you have done for us. Father, we pray this morning that as we open your word together, that you would reveal to us and remind us that we are far more broken than we could ever imagine, but at the very same time, because of Jesus, his person and work, we are also far more loved and far more secure, far more accepted and approved of than we could have ever dreamed possible. And so we pray that you would indeed reveal to us your loving heart that you would reveal to us uh, what you have done for us in order that we might rest in you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. On Sunday mornings, um, we've been working our way through Paul's letter to the Galatians. And uh, a couple, well, almost a month ago, uh, maybe a little over a month ago, we came to Galatians chapter 5 where Paul mentioned what he called the fruit of the Spirit. And since then, we've been looking at each of the words that Paul used to describe this fruit. And this morning, we're going to use this passage that was read for us earlier from Luke chapter 6 to talk about goodness. Um, That's where we find ourselves this morning. When when I was growing up, I was fascinated by um, artistic 
optical illusions, right? Um, we've all seen these before, I'm sure. Um, as simple as the Necker cube, that three-dimensional cube that you could draw in your bulletin right now if you wanted, and you might even feel yourself compulsively drawn to do that right now that I mentioned it. But, you know, you you draw that cube and you see, you look at it and it's facing one direction and then you blink your eyes and it appears to have shifted and face be now facing another direction. Or um, these optical illusions can get as complex and as dizzying as the never-ending staircases that completely mess with your perceptions of what's up and what's down. Um, or that drawing that you've seen, I'm sure you've seen this before, of the young woman who, it looks, you look at the picture and it looks like a young woman who's slightly turned away, um, but then you look again and it's the face of an old woman and what was the, you know, the cheekbone of the young woman has turned into the nose of this older woman uh, that's looking back at you. Um, and there, there are lots more examples we could go over, but, you know, it's fascinating how <clears throat> these optical illusions, they they catch you off guard, right? They they throw you off balance in some way. You expect that you'll see one thing, uh, but the illusion comes and messes with your expectations and your perceptions and turns things upside down and backward from what you expected. When we come to Luke chapter 6, it's difficult because of its familiarity, um, but this passage and what Jesus says here is really meant to throw us off balance. Um, you just think about how backward and upside down everything appears in these verses. I mean, it's right out of the gate in verses 27 and 28. He's talking about doing good to the people who hate you, um, blessing the very people who curse you and reject you, uh, praying for those who hurt you and abuse or mistreat you. Um, when Jesus took up the subject of goodness, right, of doing good to others, he messed with everyone's expectations and perceptions. Um, everything got turned upside down because in his upside-down kingdom, he expects his people to respond to hurt and sorrow and loss and rejection with unexpected goodness and grace. And I want us to think this morning about how goodness works in Jesus' upside-down kingdom. And so I want us to think through these three points together. The recipients of goodness, the proactive character of goodness, and the source of goodness. So first, the recipients of goodness. See, before we start defining goodness. Um, I really, I want us to think about the recipients of goodness. Who is Jesus calling you? Who is Jesus calling me to be, to do good to, uh, right? Not our friends, this passage makes very clear, but our enemies, those who have hurt us, those who are against us, those who will never or can never pay us back. You know, we're naturally good to people like us, um, and to the people we would call friends. But Jesus' kingdom and his people are upside down. Verse 32, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. See, 
we naturally gravitate towards people who are like us, people who see the world the way we see the world, people who share the same set of values as us, right? People who have similar interests and tastes and hobbies, people who share our same cultural experiences, people who run in and navigate in the same vocational or social circles. It's natural, and it's natural because we expect some kind of payoff, right? In other words, we expect goodness shown to be reciprocal. For, for there to be some sort of emotional or social or relational payoff, we do good so that we'll be liked and accepted and befriended. There, there's nothing unusual or different about that. The rest of the world, Jesus says, does just that and does good like that. But Jesus was saying, my upside-down kingdom is so very, very different. In his kingdom, the recipients of goodness are completely unexpected, right? The very ones who have made your life hard for you and who have hurt you, goodness should be flowing from your life to the very people you think he or she doesn't deserve this. Right, Those who have written you off and rejected you or embarrassed you in life, those who are so different from you, people you passionately disagree with politically or culturally, the person who is so needy in your life and draining, who can never pay you back emotionally or relationally, or the person who looks down on you. Right? Here's the upside-down kingdom. Jesus says the recipients of your goodness should be the very ones that you think don't deserve it. Let me show you something that gets, it's a bit obscured in the English translation of the Greek, but in verses 32 through 34, translators, they made a decision, right, to supply this phrase in these verses, and the phrase that they supplied was this, to you, right? And it it was to help make these verses more readable, and that's because in the original Greek, the question in those verses is very ambiguous, right? Literally, verse 32, for example, would read like this. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that? And you're left thinking, benefit to what or to whom, right? And so they supplied that phrase. But see, the Greek word that's translated in those verses as benefit or credit, a lot of times, um, it, it is the translation. Um, It's really the same word in verses 32, 33, and 34, and it's the New Testament Greek word for grace, charis, right? See, grace is unmerited favor, right? It is goodness for those who don't deserve it. And Jesus was saying, if you love those who love you, where is the grace in that? Where is the grace if you do good to those who do good to you? That's not grace. That's not goodness to those who don't deserve it. Ernest Gordon was a prisoner of war in World War II, and he was imprisoned in a Japanese work camp on the River Kwai. And he and his fellow officers, he describes this at length, they were treated incredibly cruelly given horrible conditions to live in. Um, But while in this prison camp, um, he and some of the other officers became Christians, and he wrote this. We had learned from the Gospels that Jesus had his enemies just as we had ours. 
But there was a difference. He loved his enemies. He prayed for them. Even as the nails were being hammered through his hands and feet, he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We hated our enemies. We could see how wonderful it was that Jesus forgave us in this way. Yet for us to do the same seemed beyond our attainment. And hopefully you understand that. But here's the thing. After the war was over, Gordon and his fellow prisoners of war were making their way home, and they were in a railway yard, uh, and they found themselves next to a train full of Japanese soldiers who were now prisoners. Here were his enemies captured, right? They were the very enemies who had tortured him, right? And treated he and his fellow officers with cruelty. And now they were in a horrible condition. Gordon wrote that he looked at them and they were encrusted with mud, blood, and excrement. Their wounds, sorely inflamed and full of pus, crawled with maggots. See, earlier he couldn't imagine caring for his enemies, but something changed. And he and the other Christian officers with him sprang into action and they gave away their rations And they gave away their canteens with water to these enemies of theirs. And they cleaned and they bound up the wounds of their enemies. And Gordon wrote how the other officers who were with them looked at them and ridiculed what they were doing and harassed them for it and called them fools for showing that amount of kindness to their enemies. See, of course they were called fools, Of course they were harassed and ridiculed. That's not natural, right? Their enemies didn't deserve goodness like that. The recipients of their goodness, it it was messing with everyone's perceptions and expectations. It was turning everything in the world upside down and backward. And I'm asking you, what about you? And what about me? Who Who are we being and doing good to? Are we living inside of Jesus' upside-down kingdom? Are you showing love and goodness to those who don't deserve it? See, before we get much further in this sermon, and we're going to start picking up a little bit of speed here, I want you to think about this question. Can you think of someone who has made your life hard and hurt you? Someone who has written you off and rejected you? That's the person Or those are the people that should be the recipients of goodness and grace in your life. Who Jesus calls you to do goodness to is just as important as defining what goodness actually is. Okay, second, let's begin to talk about what this goodness is. I want us to talk about the proactive character of goodness. It's an awkward phrase that I'm still struggling with, but I think you'll you'll get it in a moment. Um, The kind of goodness that Jesus was describing, it, it wasn't just upside down because of its recipients, right? But also because of its proactive character, the proactive character of goodness. The statement that you're familiar with in verse 31, the golden rule, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Jesus was doing something incredibly shocking in that statement that is not shocking to you because you become so familiar to that phrase and to the golden rule. But in Jesus' day, nearly every statement defining neighbor-to-neighbor ethics was completely negative in its formulation. 
So in other words, its formulation was, do not do to others what you would not want them done, not want done to you. Right? It was a law of non-hatred. Right? A law of avoiding doing harm to others. But Jesus blew the doors off of that. Right? He went so much further. He wasn't talking about a law of non-hatred. He was talking about a law of love. Of doing to others what you would have them do to you. Treat even your enemies, he was saying. And those who don't deserve goodness with the same goodness, you wish they would have shown to you. That's what Jesus is saying. Do to others as you would have them do to you. The proactive character of goodness, it runs all throughout this passage in Luke. And I want to highlight just three specific applications for you of this proactive goodness that I think will help define goodness for you. And we're going to run through these pretty briefly. But first, I want you to see in this passage proactive reconciliation. Right? Many people have misunderstood what Jesus meant when he spoke of turning the cheek to the one who strikes you in verse 29. See, Jesus wasn't saying, don't defend yourself from violence um, or do nothing to stop injustice or abuse from happening to you. Um, what was in view here wasn't physical assault, but a personal insult. You know, a punch to the nose, that's a physical uh, assault, right? A slap to the cheek, that's an insult, a personal insult. And what Jesus was saying is he was saying something like this. When you have been or felt personally insulted, you need to forgive. And you need to make an offer, a free offer of reconciliation. See, in this culture, they greeted one another with a kiss on the cheek. And so Jesus was saying, if you've been insulted and you've been hurt, offer that person the opportunity to kiss your cheek and be reconciled to you. That is real grace and goodness, proactive reconciliation. And I'm afraid that many of us are not anywhere close to that. Because what we're doing is we're building walls. You hurt me once, and I'll never let you get close enough to hurt me again. I'm cutting you off, and I'm done with you, right? To let someone in who has insulted you, to let them in close enough for a kiss when you've been slapped on the cheek already is a move of real upside-down vulnerability and goodness, proactive goodness. Next, proactive generosity in this passage. Again, I think this thing about giving someone your tunic has been a little misunderstood because we've looked at this and we've said, well, Jesus is saying, if someone steals from you, then let him keep on stealing. You know, give him your tunic too. But there's nothing loving, there's nothing good about letting evil and sin go unchecked, right? There's nothing good about enabling wickedness in someone is that Jesus is saying you should be so aware of the needs of those around you that instead of letting someone get so desperate where they would have to steal from you in order to stay warm, he's saying give them not just the cloak, but your tunic too. All this stuff about begging and not demanding a return on what you give someone in need, Jesus was saying that we should be so upside down in our generosity that it would best be called promiscuous generosity, as one preacher called it. When you go buy your next car, 
or when you go on your next vacation, whenever you spend your money, Jesus is saying you should be thinking about the poor. You shouldn't spend a dime without thinking about the poor, without giving generously to them. I mean, that's real grace and goodness. And if you're being proactive in your generosity, it means that you won't be just giving out of the margins of your life, right? It means that you're, you will be giving in a way that impacts your life, and it changes maybe the clothes you wear or the number of times you go out to eat in a month or the kind of vacations you take or the car you drive. That is proactive generosity. And third, proactive hospitality. We all tend to gravitate towards people like ourselves, right? No matter who we are, it's just natural to do that. It's what's natural to us. But Jesus isn't calling us to something natural here, but to something upside down. And when is the last time you have befriended someone who won't or can't help you get ahead socially, vocationally, or emotionally? Are you opening up your life and creating space in your life for people who drain you? For people who are of a different race, class, or culture, who have different likes and dislikes and personality types, for people who don't look like you and haven't experienced the same amount of success that you have in this life. Proactive hospitality is grace and goodness. It's opening up our lives to people we can never expect to pay it off. Right? Look, the reason I'm saying proactive reconciliation and generosity and uh, hospitality is because Jesus is calling us to live in his upside-down kingdom. He's not telling us to be better about being civil to people who are different from us. He is saying you need to really and truly and actually open up your lives to those people around you who don't deserve it and who will and can never pay you back. Isn't a group of people living like that? I mean, can you imagine what that would be like? Pouring out grace at every turn in our personal relationships, living in promiscuous generosity and, and in radical hospitality. That's the kind of stuff that could change a community, that could change a city, that could change the world and turn it upside down. If you've been around here for a few <clears throat> few months, you probably know that uh, U2 is one of my favorite bands. Uh, be- still best concert I've ever been to. Um, anyway, um, they have this song that I've mentioned before, and the title of that song is, is Grace. And so Bono, he begins by singing that song this way. He says, Grace, it's the name for a girl. It's also a thought that changed the world. Um, but here's how the song ends. What once was hurt, what once was friction... What left a mark no longer stings because grace makes beauty out of ugly things. Grace makes beauty out of ugly things. Grace is, see what he's he's saying, grace is transformative. It's redemptive. Goodness to those who don't deserve it, it transforms things. It makes beauty out of ugly things. But do we really understand what grace is? In the middle of that same song, Bono repeats this curious line where he says, grace travels outside of karma. Grace travels outside of karma. And about 10 years ago, I saw this interview with Bono where he was talking about his Christian faith, and he said this, I'm pretty sure that 
you know, the universe operates by the laws of karma, essentially. All physical laws do. And you know, what you put out comes back against you. And he says this, but then enters the story of grace, which really is the story of Christ, which turned this view of the universe upside down, and it's completely counterintuitive. I mean, very, very hard for human beings to grasp grace. We can actually grasp atonement, revenge, for fairness. All of this we can grasp, but we don't grasp grace very well. I'm much more interested in grace because I'm really depending on it. The proactive character of goodness, it's grace, and it cuts across the grain of a view of, a wor- of the world that is all about fairness and getting what you deserve. Grace, proactive goodness, turns the world upside down. That person or persons I asked you to think about at the end of the last point, that person who has made your life hard and who has hurt you, can you get in tune with this song of grace that makes beauty out of ugly things? Can you move to that melody that, that, that moves towards reconciliation and radical generosity and hospitality? Can you become vulnerable and sacrificially generous and radically open with your life to that person? That's what Jesus is calling his kingdom citizens, his upside-down kingdom citizens, too. Okay, last thing, the source of goodness. See, Ernest Gordon wrote that forgiving his enemies seemed beyond attainment to him. So the question is, how did he change? What changed in him? What, what came and turned his life upside down? And, and, and how do you change? I mean, to think about that person who made your life hard and who hurt you, perhaps right now, at this moment, it seems beyond attainment to show grace to that person, to be good to that person. So where can we find the power for goodness? And what is the source of our ability to do good even to our enemies? And I'm going to make this last point really, really simple because I think that's exactly what Jesus was doing. Just look at verse 36. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. And that's it. I mean, that's the secret. That's the source. That's what will turn you upside down. And yet you hear it, and you think, that feels anticlimactic. <laughs> um, you know, that's, that's all? That's it? But I, I do wonder if maybe it feels anticlimactic to us because we aren't thinking it all the way through. When I was in junior high, <clears throat> these magic eye posters came out, um, and we thought they were really cool at the time. Um, you know, it was the 80s. We thought a lot of things that were cool that weren't really cool uh, in the end. But um, there were these colorful pictures with all these small designs in them, right? And if you looked at these posters the right way, um, a three-dimensional image would appear to you. And uh, it was very cool optical illusion. And I remember the first time I saw one, it was when a friend and I were at the mall, right? Uh, because all the cool kids got dropped off at the mall by their parents. Um, 
And I was frustrated because they had these bunch of these posters up and my friend was looking at them and he was like, oh, this is so cool. And I couldn't see anything in them. And I was very frustrated. And my friend kept telling me, no, you've got to look at it the right way, right? You've got to look at it the right way. And, you know, so he was coaching me. You got to get a little closer and you got to stare at this one spot and just stare and stare until, until it appears. And so you got to look at it the right way. And so and finally, I did it, and finally I saw it, and, you know, whatever it was, the, the dolphins or the ship or the castle that just kind of popped out in three dimensions, um, it, it was amazing. It was awesome, right? Listen, the source, of, the source of goodness is all about vision. It's about seeing yourself and the gospel the right way, because to see the right way is to see that you were God's enemy, right? You've cursed him. (laughs) I mean, what was the payoff that made it worth it for him to give his life for you? You've cursed him with your life. You've insulted him. You've tried to steal his glory for yourself. You've loved his gifts, but you've hated him. Right? To see the gospel the right way is to see that you You are the recipient of God's goodness. To see that he moved towards you in proactive goodness. He turned strangers into family. He made you heirs with Christ. He reconciled you to himself. Don't you realize what God is saying when he says, be merciful even as your father is merciful? He's saying, be like me. Be like me because that's how I treated you when you were my enemy. And listen, the way this good news turns someone like Ernest Gordon upside down, and the way this good news begins to change us and turn us upside down is by working it deeply into our hearts, by watering your heart with this good news so that this fruit of goodness grows in you. It's getting this good news of God's love for you in Jesus so deeply in your heart that it changes the way you see everything. Last little story and we're done. A young woman started attending church and before long she was converted. And, uh, and then she met and she fell in love and married a godly young man and they wanted to start a family together. Um, but they had a lot of trouble getting pregnant and for several years this went on. They couldn't get pregnant and finally many prayers were answered and uh, she got pregnant and they were so excited and everything was going so well for them, right? All the excitement of painting the baby room and having these baby showers and getting these gifts and getting ready and her church family was so excited for her. And then finally the day came and they rushed to the hospital for the delivery and everything went well and she delivered a happy and healthy baby. And um, both mom and child were doing great. But at the hospital in the nursery, one of the nurses there made a terrible, terrible mistake and hooked this baby up to an IV with the wrong medication that was meant for another child. And it left this child with irrevocable brain damage. Um, And her pastor heard this devastating news, and so he went um, to visit her, and he walked in the room, and he saw her rocking the baby and singing to the baby in the corner, even as it was hooked up to all these machines. And... um, 
And he said to her, you know, I came to see you because I heard, but I don't know what to say. Which is very comforting that another pastor somewhere doesn't know what to say either. Um, Because there are a lot of times feel to be in those situations. And she replied to him, she said, we're just fine. And the pastor was stunned and he says, you know, how is that possible with what happened? And this is what she said. She said, I can picture someone holding up my child and asking, who wants this baby? This child will never be able to eat on its own, go to the bathroom, be able to leave the bed, be able to feed itself, even be able to say thank you. And she said, I can picture myself jumping up to say, I want that child. And the pastor asked, why? And she said this, because I can picture Someone holding me up and saying, who wants this woman? She will gossip about you, lie to you, hate you, stab you in the back, disrespect you, steal from you. And she said, I can picture Jesus jumping up to say, I want that woman. Can you see that for yourself? Because it really is about vision and what you can see. Can you see that Jesus wanted you, that he came, and he lived, and he died, and he was raised from the dead, all for you, all so that he could have you with him for eternity? You didn't deserve his grace, but he poured out his grace upon you. You are a trophy of his grace. Can you see that, and can you picture that? Because if you can, it will begin to change the way you see everything, the way you see your enemies. And those who have made your life hard, it will change the way you see those who are different from you. And unlike you, it will compel you to move out towards others in goodness, mercy, and grace. But you've got to work this gospel story deep into your heart. Keep working it into your heart until it changes the way you see everything. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for being with us and for showing us Jesus again. We gather each week because you command us to, but we also gather each week because we forget each week. We forget how good you are, how gracious you are, how merciful you are. And Father, we pray that you would indeed come and melt our hearts with your goodness in order that we would be good to not just our friends, but even our enemies, and that you would use us to turn this community, this city, upside down. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.